do you think the Burroughs collection stuff works? Um, do you tw- do you tweet it out? Uh, no, no, because you kind of need the visual for some of them, I think. Yeah, that's probably true. The one thing it's doing is it's making me clean out my garage. Well, I mean, that's relevant to all of us. These are life lessons. Uh, when you get to be in your 40s, you spend time on a Sunday afternoon cleaning out your garage. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division III football. That's the largest division with the smallest schools. I'm Pat Coleman in charge of D3Football.com. My co-host, Keith McMillan, has been here for just about all of it from the beginning. Uh, cue Keith's self-introduction here. Um, Keith McMillan. That's about all I had prepared as self-introductions go. He is. He's Keith McMillan. Uh and uh, we have been uh, we've been through many years, maybe not necessarily uh, 2016 or not the end of 2016, but many years in which we have been looking for as much intrigue and interesting things as uh, happened in week two. Uh, let's see. UW-Whitewater lost 0-2 for the first time since 1999. Keith wasn't even involved in the site when the UW-Whitewater was last 0-2. Uh, St. Thomas knocked off. Thomas Moore upset. Um, and we spend a lot of time, and we did last week, talking about the teams that lost. But uh, I know, Keith, we also want to talk about uh, the teams that beat them. So uh, Whitewater lost uh, to Concordia Moorhead. St. Thomas lost to Wisconsin Stout. Thomas Moore lost to Bridgewater. And I, I don't know if we kind of want to go one by one or uh, you know, kind of lump these into a couple of categories. But uh, it sounds like that's something we should really talk about this week. Yeah, and, and Adam Tor made reference to this in Snap Judgments on Sunday, which I'm generally sure to read before we record the podcast. Um, but we should we should touch on it a little a little more in depth because we do get so I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but so wrapped up in wrapped up in that's a great word for it. Um, the teams that lost, right? The, because that's a team that, that came in with expectations. So uh, Whitewater was a top five team at the beginning of the season. St. Thomas, top five um, going into this week. Um, and now both of those teams have lost it. And, and when they lose, it sends the top 25 spinning. It starts starts us pondering, what could this mean for the WIAC and the MIAC conference season? What could it mean for playoff seeding? Our teams already in week two, we're already talking about the Pool C bubble. Um, but really what it should signal in some ways is, Hey, maybe we should start, uh, you know, thinking about what, how good UW Stout might be this season is Bridgewater back in the ODAC. How serious should we take Illinois Wesley and Concordia Moorhead in the CCIW and in the MIAC? All these teams were, were ranked in the top 100 in kickoff, uh, Illinois Wesleyan 34th, Concordia Moorhead 36. So I think teams that were just outside the top 25, Probably right about where they've been for for most of the past several seasons, and also where they belong. Stout at 84, Bridgewater was at 94, just a couple of spots ahead of uh, Bridgewater State. By the way, at 97, I don't know how we didn't uh, spend hours during kickoff trying to decide whether Bridgewater <laughs> should be ranked ahead of Bridgewater State, but because that's kind of minutia we get stuck on. Um, I would say this too. Uh, I, I I think you were about to say something else, but uh, for I think for the listeners at home, I think it's kind of interesting maybe to note that the teams especially that are ranked 25 through about 38 or 40 or so these are teams that Keith and I are really uh, have some expectations for going into the season because the top 25 is decided first of all uh, more than a month earlier second of all by 23 other people as well as me and Keith you know sometimes we may not necessarily agree with everything that's uh, ranked in the top 25 but we have one top 25 preseason poll. It comes out in July, and we do not reevaluate it in uh, August for kickoff. But that means that there's a, typically a, a good number of teams in that uh, 26 to 30-something range that you and I both think could, be, could have been top 25 teams. Maybe we're even on our preseason ballots. Yeah, another one that was in there is Brockport. They were 29th, I believe, in the preseason. And um, now they've crept into the, the top 25 at least uh, on my ballot and on, I'm sure, probably on yours and, and certainly in the the group top 25 that came out on Sunday night because they've been so impressive in, in the first two weeks. You know, you, you may have to reevaluate 
not just Brockport or what we thought Brockport might be this season. And we did have them sort of um, pegged as, as being one of the teams to watch in the Empire 8. But now what's happened is you almost have to reevaluate the whole Empire 8. And we'll get to that a little later in the podcast. But I think what what is interesting, and, and certainly there's very few people in the world who are capable or who have the interest level to read uh, every kickoff preview or most of them or many of them. Um, but there are times like this where if you have access to it, you go back and you look at uh, Stout, for instance, what we had in the preseason. 16 starters back, seven on, on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, except for, for losing cornerbacks, they were expected to have a pretty solid defense, a, a good defensive front seven. So that's the type of thing that plays uh, plays right into um, defending what, what St. Thomas does well. Maybe not as big a surprise uh, as we thought it would be. Um and then the same thing, Bridgewater, six back, seven, uh, seven on offense, six on defense. It's a, it's a program that's been um, pretty solid. You know, it's had obviously better years a decade or so ago, but still been pretty solid the past several years uh, in, in the ODAC. And, and really that um, that week one win against Gettysburg must have been a good uh, good morale booster. And then now, you know, to go on the road to win at Thomas More, which is is top 25 program, but there's not a whole lot of difference between a good po- program in the pack and a good program in the ODAC. So uh, now Bridgewater, maybe maybe you know, when they that schedule came out, they thought hey, if we get to one and one, we'll be in good shape. Now they're two and oh. Now they start to have a little bigger dreams for themselves. So I think sometimes expectations build when uh, when these teams do pull the upsets. And uh, to look at uh, Illinois Wesleyan, a team that was, uh, as you mentioned, ranked 34th when the uh, when when kickoff came out that was a, a team that uh, had some interesting questions I mean they returned uh, 11 uh, players with starting experience on offense but had a, a quarterback question um, they had some uh, they had some spots where they were missing some people up front but also uh, Illinois Wesleyan is one of those teams that uh, took an overseas trip this summer so they played a game in Japan over the summer and of course you know what that means everybody in unison it means uh, hitting spring practice. Yeah, ten padded practices in spring. Yeah, helmets and pads. Yep, <laughs> an actual so, yeah, spring I, practice. That's where I was going. Ten the ten extra days, and and that's been fairly well documented by us over the years. Maybe not in an organized way, but we sort of pointed out each time uh, a team has a remarkably good season from that that year. Wartburg made a deep run. Uh, St. John's has done it. St. Thomas has done it. Uh, you get a, North Central has done it. You get a chance, a to to spend extra time w- with with your team. Yep. Uh, let them let them hit in the spring, which which uh, teams can't do otherwise. Uh, you could do it every is it every three years or every four years? Every three, right? So you could do it every three years. And and I think the times we've talked to coaches about it, they say it's just a great bonding experience. You bring you know your best fifty or so guys on on the trip. Um, but those end up being the core guys for your program for the next couple of seasons. Um, we uh, also mentioned, of course, Concordia Moorhead. We are going to talk about Concordia Moorhead and to Concordia Moorhead more throughout the course of this podcast. So maybe we skip them here. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I want to uh, talk about Illinois Wesleyan because uh, of the teams that we've listed, of those four, Illinois Wesleyan is the team that uh, got its big upset win in week one. So we've reevaluated Illinois Wesleyan once, right? Uh, we came in with the uh, the belief, the assumption that Illinois Wesleyan was the third best team in the CCIW, and as such, that generally affords a team a certain amount of uh, prestige, respect, ranking, etc. Because we believe the CCIW is pretty good. Uh, CCIW this year has uh, at the moment two top five teams, um, and uh, at, at some point, Illinois Wesleyan have a chance to prove itself against them but uh you know the titans took a big jump up the rankings in week one with the win against whitewater they got uh uh, slotted one spot ahead of whitewater in the in the week one top 25 and now do you reevaluate once again illinois wesleyan's win over whitewater because now whitewater is not as invincible as even even less invincible than they thought they were You'd certainly like to, but I think that's just the weird spot we're in in week two where we don't have a whole lot else to go on besides the two games that have been played. And then, you know, you don't want to lean too heavily on teams' reputations, but certainly that comes into play um, because 
Whitewater's now dropped out of the top 25, but I think for Concordia Moorhead and uh, and Illinois Wesleyan both moved into the top 25. That's the reason why they've moved in, right? Because yeah. they beat Whitewater. Not if they if they'd beaten UW Stout, for example. Well, they beat um, and they both beat Nebraska Wesleyan, by the way, for what that's worth. Uh, yeah, that's just an odd coincidence. Yes, but the the you know the point I was making if they if they'd beaten um, Wisconsin Stout or Lacrosse. Or, or someone like that. Do they do voters take as much notice of those wins? They, they certainly don't. As we see what Whitewater does the next few weeks, and you know, for for them, um, it doesn't get any easier. They're gonna play Wash U. They're gonna play Wisconsin Oshkosh pretty soon. So we'll we'll get a sense of whether they were, whether they are the same Whitewater. Just got off to a rough start. Had a had a bad game with with fumbles. Um, had have have had some um, poor execution inside the five yard line, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, that's cost them a couple games. Are they basically the same Whitewater that's just you know played poorly at points in games where they couldn't afford to play poorly against pretty good seven win type of teams, or is this just an off year? Is this the beginning of the end for Whitewater? I know that from Whitewater people that I talk to. They're concerned because these are the type of games that Lance Leipold teams would find a way to win. And Bob Berezowitz teams too, yeah. Yeah, and, and and so as much as a coach of a of a program that made a deep run in the playoffs last season can be on the hot seat, you I'm sure it, it, it's starting to get to that point in, in Whitewater for Kevin Bullis, who's a um, great friend of, of the podcast, by the way. Um but I think it's a little early to really reevaluate Whitewater. Let's see what they do as they get through the WIAC. Let's see what they do next week uh, against uh, Wash U. And then that'll filter back how we look at um, Illinois Wesleyan and Concordia Moorhead later in the season, too, the quality of that win. Completely unscientific. Of course, the poll on the front page of D3Football.com right now says, how many wins will Whitewater end the regular season with? Uh, 25% say eight. 30% say 7, 25% say 6, uh, 19% with the probably wishful thinking 5 or fewer. But uh, yeah, mixed results, mixed outlook, and it, you're, you're right about the, the hot seat. I don't know where the, hot, where the heat comes from. Um, you know, they've had an athletic director change. Do we, well, I'm beginning to talk about Whitewater in terms of Division One athletics, right? Uh, that's the, this, this was not, the coach was not hired by this athletic director. Um, you know, who is it? The boosters that uh, exert the, uh, the pressure, the fans that exert the pressure. It's, these are things we don't usually talk about at this level. Yeah, well, it's also funny that we dove into this segment saying... <laughs> Hey, we t- we're going to talk about the teams who aren't the teams that <laughs> lost, and we've come full circle, and now we're back to talking about Whitewater, and and we'll, we'll we could throw some Thomas Moore and and St. Thomas in there too, but um, um, but we, let's not force it. There is one thing I wanted to mention, Pat, though, uh, before we move on, and that's uh, this theory we talked about in the podcast last week about highly ranked teams playing credible competition early in the season. We praised Whitewater for taking the game against Illinois Wesleyan and said, look, the reason the AQ system works is you can take that game early in the season and uh, and still win your conference, still get into the playoffs. And while that remains true in the case of Whitewater and remains true in the case of St. Thomas, who will now have to turn around and beat St. John's and, uh, and, and uh, maybe run the table in the MIAC to feel good about its playoff chances— it, it doesn't change anything, but it certainly feels a little less – I feel a little less confident saying that than I felt last weekend. The, the teams that don't have to test themselves early, like St. John's, like Mount Union, as we talked about last week, like Wheaton, um, starting to feel a little bit better about that, that logic after, after seeing St. Thomas and, and Whitewater go down. And one thing I want to mention before we move out of this segment is uh, Illinois Wesleyan. While you know they slipped a couple of spots in the poll this week, um, well, actually, there's this, like two things I want to mention. Um, we'll come back to the second part of that in a second. Um, Illinois Wesleyan uh, goes to North Central this upcoming week. Uh, then they have North Park, and then they play Wheaton in Week Five. So they will have they have a very front loaded schedule actually for uh, three of their toughest games in the first five weeks, and we'll know. If they really do stack up in a top 15, top 16 kind of way, 
Uh, we'll know it against number four and number five here coming up in a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think this week is is going to be a great week throughout D3. Um, I didn't think week two was going to be that great. It turned out to be fairly interesting. So, uh, you know, D3 always gives us something to talk about and, and something to keep an eye on. And Adam touched on this also in Sunday's piece where where it seemed like the tide may have turned at the end of last season where there were new teams in the Stag Bowl. And um, you know, we thought, ah, man, maybe just a one-year thing. That's a fluke. Everything's going to go back to normal this year. Well, first two weeks of the season, nothing's been normal, and it's been highly entertaining. Nothing been normal except uh, Mount Union winning. The uh, the second part of the thing I wanted to mention, the two teams, although Illinois Wesleyan slipped a couple of spots, and I'm sure that's because uh, voters thinking the Whitewater win is not as impressive as it used to be, uh, the teams that passed Illinois Wesleyan were – uh, Johns Hopkins and Wittenberg, which I think both of us probably think, uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I, I think uh, I think that those teams are already, they're floating up and they're already probably higher than I would uh, like them to be. They're definitely higher than they are on my ballot. Yeah, one of the first things I noticed when I looked at the top 25, besides, of course, you know, seeing who, who, um, who was new in the poll this week was... It, it, I just find it hard to believe that Wittenberg is 14th and that and that Wabash is the first team also receiving votes. I have those teams, I think, either 23, 24, or 24, 25 on my ballot. Like, I have them real close together. I want to see a little more from them. Generally, uh, because their schedules are, are so um, – they don't get a lot – they don't have a lot of tests on their schedule because of the way the, the North Coast Conference is. Um, I, I usually like to see them play each other. Um, or, you know, it could be someone like Denison or, or, or Worcester when they're having a good season. You like to see them play a good game before you float them up the pole so high. Uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, they won. They beat yeah. Susquehanna on, on Saturday, but not as in impressive top 15, top 10 type fashion. So I agree with you that both of those teams are floating up kind of high. But this is the classic pole voter um, dilemma that we always come up to. Even if you love if you feel like there are 10 really good teams in the country and then everyone else is like a top, like a team you would prefer to rank between 20 and 25, you still have to put someone 11th. So uh, teams float up. More about the top 25 coming up in just a couple of minutes, but this seems like the right time to mention that this week's edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by FanRays. And if you haven't heard of FanRays, it's an e-commerce platform that uh, provides uh, teams uh, merchandise shops uh, for their athletic programs. And it's really kind of a hassle-free setup. They're, these are stores that don't cost anything to set up. They never close, and you can uh, put more than 100 pieces, uh, unique pieces of apparel and accessories on your uh, on your store at any particular time. You know, Keith, man, I know you and I have looked at setting up merchandise uh, and have tried to do some of that. I also am on uh, the email list of a couple of coaches who send emails, uh, to, uh, send all sorts of emails to the list, some of which are of import to us and some of which are Hey, fans and hey, teams, don't forget to place your order by X date or else our online store will close. This is not one of those things. This is uh, something where you can just set it up and not have to worry about shutting it back down in three weeks when your order's done. Yeah, and, and honestly, that was the first thing I thought when, when you started uh, talking about it is, when when can we open our, it's not a team store, but it'll be close <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, because another thing that I hated most about the thought of doing uh, this sort of stuff, and when we did some merchandise back in the, uh, I don't want to talk about what decade that was, was doing fulfillment, taking the stuff out of my, uh, you know, out of the box putting it in an envelope, putting it in a box and shipping it. You don't have to do that as a, as a coach or as anybody else who might be managing one of these stores because they'll ship all of the orders directly to customers. FanRaise will handle all that for you, so you never have to sort through or coordinate a bulk order again. That's another thing that uh, I would be – that would make my life so much easier if I, if I were in that position. Yeah, and, and the other thing about FanRaise is they you know, increase fundraising for teams through uh, the unmatched profit share model. So it, it's a kind of win-win situation. Uh, it does sound something like something uh, we would be interested in doing, but I need to mention the website before we go any further. Visit thefanraise.com. Um, you know, that's spelled how you might think it is, but uh, the, T-H-E-F-A-N-R-A-I-S-E, because you're raising money uh, for fans or from fans, whatever, thefanraise.com to sign up your, for your free store. Keith, uh, I was also, um, this isn't in one of the 
bullet points or talking points that uh, we need to mention in the course of this, but uh, it's run by a former Division Three football player, which is why uh, I think how they found out about us in the first place. So a lot of things are run by former Division Three football players. NFL, uh, City of Pittsburgh. Is the City of Pittsburgh mayor still a W&J guy? <laughs> I don't know. And I, I, don't th- I don't think Goodell played football, did he? No, no. My uh, references are so old. I got I to gotta get some fresh references. Uh, things run by former Division Three football players. Yeah, lots of things. The world. I don't know about the world, but uh, a lot. You know, lots of things run by former Division Three student athletes and former Division Three football players. One of them is thefanraise.com. Visit them today. Sign up for your free store and uh, get rid of all of that hassle. Get rid of the boxes in your office. Get rid of all the envelopes. Get rid of the three-week open store that uh, that you can't send somebody to when they check their email a week and a half later. All right, time for game balls. And, and Keith, there were lots of great performances to go around for Concordia Moorhead. If, uh, if you're playing the drinking game today, uh, Concordia Moorhead should probably be on the list. Um, I'm going to highlight one of those here, and that's the all-around day by uh, the Cobbers safety, Dallas Raftevold. Here's a guy who had uh, two takeaways, first of all, in key spots. Uh, Cobbers fumbled on their own 26 with a 10-3 lead in the second quarter, and Raftefold came up big with an interception of Cole Wilbur in the end zone in the very next play to preserve that lead. Then later in the fourth quarter, he forced and recovered a fumble by Drew Patterson inside the Whitewater 10. Cobbers scored to take an eight-point lead two plays later. Uh, let's see, throw in 15 tackles, a pass breakup, and uh, Concordia Moorhead safety Dallas Raftefold gets my game ball. Keith? Pat, I thought we had an unspoken agreement that I get the defensive game balls, especially when defensive backs earn them. I thought it might even be spoken, actually. Fine, though. You know, if I really wanted to force it, I'd pick Widener's Jordan Powell, who had a sack fumble recovery touchdown and a 100 100 yard uh, interception return touchdown in about five minutes of third quarter game time against FDU Florham. Two of the Pride's three defensive touchdowns, by the way, on Saturday. Uh, But I'd rather give a team game ball to St. Scholastica, which bounced back from the 98-point loss last week and promise this probably be the last time we mention it. I said promise probably. (laughs) I couldn't even commit. Um, (laughs) St. Scholastica bounced back from the 98-point loss last week by beating Greenville 47-27. They had to defend 101 Greenville plays to do it, but they opened up a 47-14 lead and set a pretty good example that one game is just one game. Keith, I can't promise I won't occasionally pick another defensive player. I'm sorry. That's all right. I just think we can we can put the 98 point uh, loss to bed at least uh, at least until the next time we need to poke fun at, at St. John's. For my riser this week, team climbing the pole. I want to talk about Whitworth. Pirates have looked good in two outings so far this season. They're as high as number 10 on one person's ballot. Now, I'm not willing to go that far myself, but I've been reevaluating my ballot each week. We've certainly had reason to do so through the first two weeks. Trying to throw out the preconceived notions, uh, the stuff left over from 2016 residual rankings, and, and that has led me to push Whitworth up quite a bit after just those two games. Uh, the Week 5 uh, showdown versus Linfield, a big game. That's still a few weeks away, but uh, Whitworth is on the climb. Today I learned that Pat peeks at other people's ballots. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, so here's the thing. Quick aside, uh, when a voter votes for Bridgewater State, which is 0-2, instead of voting for Bridgewater, I have to try to track that down and just make sure that that's what the person expected. A couple of people got texts or emails from me today asking if that was what they really intended to do, and, um, you know, I have to... I have to do it. We just can't let a... What kind of poll would we be if we let ballots or uh, polls stick out there with typos? Hey, it would be a bad poll. And I'm I'm not... I'm sure you were teeing me up to make fun of someone in particular, but I didn't... I don't know who... Now you know how the sausage is made, readers. Readers, listeners. I'm I'm in work mode. Viewers. (laughs) Viewers. We got those... People probably stare at their podcast app. While they listen, we should. I've thought that we should do this. Uh, we should do the sausage making part on Facebook Live some night. Uh, open it up at midnight uh, Sunday night, Monday morning, and see if people tune in to watch us uh, click through stuff. That sounds like tens of viewers. Did <laughs> you said tons? I agree. No, no, I definitely said tens. Anyway, as far as the riser this week, I agree with you on on Whitworth, uh, especially with how quarterback Ian Colsey has played so far. But the riser for me this week is Carthage, which beat Bethel 31-0 and hasn't given up a point through two games. 
The Redmen are at Wheaton next week, so we'll find out how good that defense is. But so far, it appears top 25 worthy. With uh, Concordia Moorhead on my ballot now as well, that gives the CCIW four teams and the MAC three teams in the top 25. But with Wisconsin Whitewater and uh, Thomas Moore dropping out, I no longer have three WIAC or PIAC teams ranked. As we accelerate in the conference play, there'll be more head-to-head games, and we can begin to make sense of whether these conferences really deserve to have three or four top 25 worthy teams. We spent a good time talking about reevaluating teams, and that naturally includes reevaluating the top 25 as well. Rather than co- to continue to beat on some of these teams, I might punt this category over to you and say I'm willing to stand on what I've said already, except to note that Illinois Wesleyan, I'm one of those people that slid them out a little bit, but they have their chance to win their way back in over the course of the next couple of weeks. Well, I'm going to take a wider look at, uh, at a slider. Instead of picking one, I'll, I'll just mention almost the entire Empire 8. Uh, the the conference lost only two games in week one, but after a shaky week two, when Utica lost to Catholic, Cortland lost to Framingham State, and St. John Fisher got drubbed by uh, 31-3 at Hobart, it looks like there might only be one good team in what's generally regarded in the as the best conference in the East. That one good team's not Buffalo State, which was only a missed point after better than Bridgewater State last week. It's not Alfred, which beat former member Ithaca 20-17 to in week one, only to see Ithaca lose 31-0 to Brockport in week two. It is, however, those Golden Eagles, who at the moment look like the class of the conference. The next three games, though, for Brockport are at St. John Fisher against Utica and Cortland, uh, three opponents that look a lot less daunting after Saturday. Well, I mentioned that we would be talking to Concordia Moorhead during the course of this podcast, and I had an opportunity on a Sunday afternoon to chat with the Cobbers head coach, Terry Horan. I want to note before we uh, go into this, first of all, thank Coach Horan for uh, being willing to go out of the box a little bit and record his half of the interview into his iPhone. And then secondly, uh, specifically thank uh, Jim Sella, the sports information director at Concordia, for helping Coach Horan get that audio to me. Here we go. Did seeing the fact that Illinois Wesleyan really battled these guys and hung with them and eventually came out victorious at the end give you guys any extra inspiration or confidence heading into playing Whitewater this week? Well, you know, um, you've seen what Wesleyan had done and, and um, you know, a great win for those guys. Obviously, um, you know, when, when you lose a, a tough game like that, you're always in the back of your mind thinking about things that happened that maybe went wrong you know we've been there and done that too you know and and um we just uh we just felt like you know we needed to obviously establish ourselves right out of the gates you know when you you lose a heartbreaker like that the way they did in the fashion that they did um we wanted to you know make a statement right from the start and and we did that with the opening kickoff and then marching, uh, almost taking up nine minutes of the clock on our very first drive and scoring a touchdown. And uh, that was very important for us to set the tone and 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 happy to see that because um, it gave us confidence uh, moving forward. And then, you know, three plays later, we get a fumble recovery of theirs and, and, um, and we end up getting a field goal out of it. So we're up 10 nothing before they have their fourth play from scrimmage. So, yeah, you bet that uh, that was a talking point of ours and something that we wanted to build on. I think one of the things that really struck me as I was watching this situation unfold is there have been so many situations, and, and you alluded to it, instances in which you guys have had the lead in the closing minutes, sometimes even in the closing seconds. And I don't need to detail it for you, but you've had to defeat Snatch from the jaws of victory. No question about it. Pat, it's something that we've talked about a long time. I mean, in the last five years, you know, prior to this season, we were, we're, we've been 38 and 12 and been that outsider looking into the playoffs and and seriously one or two plays has made the difference and a lot of heartbreak losses and but so for our guys to um you know hang in there and and in this big heavyweight matchup because they're a, they're a very good football team and they are well coached um and to, to be able to find a way to win this game uh, in the fashion that we did it you know on that last stand that fourth and one and alex berg our preseason all-american linebacker who had a ball in his hands to beat St. Thomas last year on their last drive, and it went through his fingertips, which gave the Tommies an extra play, and they end up scoring and beating us. 
and he makes the big play at the end to win the game. He's had to live with that for a year, and uh, just a, just a wonderful moment. And and for us to to believe that you know we can win these tight games, and and that was a huge huge win for our program. It seems like Saturday's results really changed the picture in the MIAC, even though conference play hasn't started yet. You guys beat UW-Whitewater, uh, Stout defeats St. Thomas, Hamlin loses to McAllister, which I think is surprising. How does this look now heading into conference play? Well, ultimately, you know, Pat, one of the reasons why we went outside the box in our non-conference schedule was to prepare us for our league. You know, we've been that, like I said, we've been that outsider looking in. You know, we've played some teams just an hour down the road budgetarily to make things right. But, you know, for us, um, you know, the league is the most important piece to this because you win your league, you're an AQ. And, and we wanted two teams that could prepare us. We were able to get two Division three programs in the West region with Nebraska Westland and Whitewater. You know, a challenge of going on the road seven and a half hours to Westland in, in unfamiliar grounds and play the way we did and and then to come home and play a team like Wisconsin Whitewater which is very much like that St. Thomas that St. John's in our league and and that's what it's done it's prepared us you know win or lose it, it prepares you for your league and and now that's all behind us because I know Bethel's not going to care a bit about what we've done you know going into this week's game so um and this is why you play, and, and uh, we're excited for the MIC to start. And, and you're right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's happened, but you still got eight conference games, and everyone's shooting to be that AQ, and who's it going to be? You've been on the national committee. You've seen Whitewater during the course of this long run that they've had from 2005 on. What did you see from this year's Whitewater team this week in person, maybe last week on tape? What were they missing? You know, I've been one guy that um, has seen these guys play. You know, many years, even though this is our first game against these guys, um, this is a very similar Wisconsin-Whitewater team. They're big, they're physical, they're athletic, they're well-coached. I mean, this is a game of inches, we all know that, and they very easily could be 2-0 and right now. You know, a few, um, you know, a few turnovers uh, have, has done those guys in a little bit, but um, I see them no different than they've been in the past. Uh, this is a very good football team that can win that WIAC. So, I mean, I, I agree that it's a it's a possibility that by the end of the season, Whitewater finishes 8-2 and two and they're just as formidable a, uh, a playoff opponent as any one in, in the entire field. But it's it's hard to say through two games that they're the same old Whitewater when, uh, you know, they certainly, they struggled to run the ball against Illinois Wesleyan. They weren't a whole lot better against the Cobbers on Saturday. Uh, 36 carries, 122 yards, 3.4 yards per attempt. Not great, but also not pound-the-rock level whitewater. So they, they've got a little ways to go, you know, taking care of the ball, punching it in um, from, you know, inside the five-yard line. Um, I, I think the – I agree to a degree that they could e- they could easily be 2-0. and They play tough teams. So part of the reason you schedule those games is so you get a good test – and, uh, and they may be well battle-tested for when they have to turn around and play Platteville and Oshkosh uh, and the other teams in the conference. You know, now do we have to put Stout in that group as well? Uh, I don't know. But I also want to point out one thing that, that, uh, that Adam pointed out, and he sort of tied it together in, in snap judgments, um, that the, all the teams that pulled upsets over the weekend um, took risks, you know, whether it be fake punts, Going forward on fourth down, um, and, and those and, and converted those things. So that that does happen, and you you can play a little more freely when the pressure is all on the other team. And and I, I don't know if going forward for Whitewater, if they feel like all the pressure's on them because um, because they have to win out to to preserve playoff hopes, or do they say, well, everybody thinks we're not the same old Whitewater now any, anyway, so let's go play free, loosen up, and, and, and see what happens. Uh, I think if you take a second to uh, sidetrack and explore the alternate universe in which uh, Whitewater punches the ball in against uh, Illinois Wesleyan and wins that game in week one if, if they have to go to overtime to do it, uh, and again, hangs on to a ball, the ball in the key situation on Saturday. Whitewater at 2-0, and having come into the season ranked, where did we rank them? Three, four, something like that, with mm-hmm. two questionable wins that still lead us to question them. They slide down a couple of spots, and they just kind of push off 
that uh, that loss until a little bit later, and we don't really know. I guess I, I think that's that's one interpretation of uh, of. I guess that would be real world, and we're in bizarro world right now, right? Yeah, and that, it's fair. It's also fair to say. Um, I mean, the, what you just said kind of brings what what Terry said a little more into focus. And it's also fair to say that as voters, we overreact to results without totally taking the process into account. That's not the, the perfect way to phrase it. But in, in essence, Whitewater loses two games that were toss ups and they win those games. They're a top five or a top 10 team. They lose them. They're out of the top 25 when it's really just you know, fumbling a, a snap on the one yard line. That makes the difference. So um, we'll see though where, where they go from here. And I think that gives us something to watch for the, for the next few weeks, um, especially as, as a bunch of these great games come up. Moving on with the podcast, uh, moving on to the hidden highlight and mine comes from Illinois where a, a wild final minute was capped with a two point conversion attempt that failed as Lake Forest held on to beat Carlton 48, 46 Carlton had started at its own 22 with 28 seconds left, but scored on the final play of the game after a help of a flag for roughing the quarterback and another for pass interference. And Keith, the two-point conversion was truly hidden. And another reminder of what we deal with kind of across the board in Division Three. sometimes, the conversion catch attempt completely missed by the Lake Forest video broadcast, not shown on the screen. Uh, Carlton on Twitter suggested the pass should have been ruled a catch, but, you know, we'll never be able to confirm that. This is why we can't have nice things, right? 99.5% of our broadcasts in Division Three will never be good enough, well, will not be good enough now anyway, to overturn a call on the field. But it would be nice to at least see the plays that are in question or the, you know, the one play that decides the end of a game. Well, this that might make this the, the place to discuss the ending of Endicott Bridgewater State, um, but I don't consider that highlight particularly hidden since ESPN caught wind of it, and it'll be in our Play of the Week candidates rundown on YouTube and, and on the front of the site, so you'll all see it. It's not super hidden, but there was controversy on the game-tying touchdown throw, given that the ball wasn't controlled going to the ground and that the college catch rule was similar to the NFL's, but there aren't enough TV cameras at D3 games for the most part to, to make review plausible until you get to the semifinal and, and the Stag Bowl. Uh, as you so deftly pointed out. So we still live and die with real-time refereeing. That means my hidden height, my hidden highlight, again, involves Rose Holman, since I want to pick one that's actually technically uh, hidden or at least a little off the beaten path. Um, Rose Holman had a finish with Milliken that featured four touchdowns in the final five and a half minutes. RHIT had a chance to tie with a two-point conversion, but missed and trailed 21-19 with 3.29 left. By the 157 mark, both teams had scored again on long plays, and Milliken led 28-26. Rose Holman then kicks, recovers an onside kick, and ends up in a 4th and 13 situation. Pat, guess how long the completion was on that 4th and 13 play? You can you can guess or, or not guess. The answer is 12 yards. Sorry, I gave it away. wasn't a very good guess. Mill- Milliken kneeled it out and, and headed back home 2-0. By the way. Milliken 2-0. When was the last time? Uh, 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 of course, I don't have that uh, at my fingertips, and we're not going to pause the rest of the podcast to find it because it's kind of late, but that's that hasn't happened in a little bit. So congratulations, Big Blue. That's awesome. Yeah, we're not we're not going to find that, but uh, you should do your best to find the sticks on uh, 4th and 13. That's, that's pretty gut-wrenching to get 12 yards on that play. That's true. Sounds like a really fun back and forth five minutes, more so if you're a Milliken fan. Uh, I definitely did a double take, Keith, at a game you mentioned earlier, the one where Catholic defeated Utica 16 to 10. And uh, I did get a, a chance to uh, exert some bragging rights over D3Hockey.com uh, editor-in-chief Ray Biggs, uh, Utica grad. I-, I pegged Catholic to be one and one at this point in the season, but in the opposite order. But I'm even more surprised by Pomona Pitzer getting on a plane to Memphis and defeating Rhodes. All sorts of reasons why Rhodes should have been the favorite here, Keith. Uh, they're playing at home. They're playing in their second game compared to the Sage Hens first. And, and, you know, they're a contender in a stronger league. Plus, Rhodes went up 28-7 to and then got outscored 31-3 to over the final 34 minutes of the game. Craziness, totally worth a double take. And since I haven't mentioned the final score, and maybe you didn't do the math at home, it's 38-31 Pomona Pitzer. I also did a double take from a, a West Coast game. Uh, Puget Sound 61, Occidental 6 stopped me. Yeah. Um, the loggers have been steadily improving under Jeff Thomas, so the win wasn't so much a surprise as the final score was. 
it wasn't that long ago that you'd expect a 61-6 game, and, and really it was a six, it was a shutout until 57 seconds remained. It was basically 61-0. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that you'd expect that kind of game to go Oxy's way. The Tigers haven't been the same, really, though, since uh, Dale Weedoff has, was no longer coached. And uh, they just hired Rob Cushman from Minnesota Morris barely a month ago. It was, like you mentioned in in the other game, it was um, Occidental's first game and Puget Sound's second. So when you think about it, it makes sense. But Puget Sound was so shaky for so long that beating anyone 61-6 still makes me double take. Uh, I'm starting to recalibrate, though. Yeah, I, I've got even more about that game in my stat of the week, Keith. It was a as a bad year last year for Occidental, a bad off season as uh, you mentioned the late coaching change, and then just an epically bad game on Saturday. But the stat that stands out the most from that futility for me is that Occidental had more turnovers than rushing yards, four fumbles, two interceptions, four yards on the ground, and it, it's not even that Oxy lost a lot on sack yardage; they just had nobody in double digits rushing whatsoever. Plus, three quarterbacks were a combined 17 for 42 passing. Uh, all around bad as Occidental sinks out west. Well, we're going to stick with the, the not-that-impressive stats for, for stats of the week. You probably read all the, all the great, wonderful stats on, uh, on the site on Saturday night anyway. My stat of the week, though, after a week one in which it gained 95 yards against RPI, William Patterson could manage only 131 this week against Salisbury. The Pioneers have 12 first downs through two games, and they're the worst offense in the country by a lot behind second-worst Waynesburg. Now, Defiance and Lycoming are actually the only teams in the country to have played two games and not scored an offensive touchdown. William Patterson has one. And in their case, uh, they'll try to get right next week against Rowan, which is 193rd in the country in offense so far and is also struggling on offense a lot more than a playoff contender normally would. I bet those of you listening at home did not understand that Stats of the Week is actually spelled W-E-A-K. At least this seven-day period it happens to be. Um, quick hits or quick misses? We should well, we should throw a coin toss, actually, to see if uh, who has to do the quick hits and who gets to do the quick misses. Or I could get uh, my son down here to do a randomizer of some sort or throw a dart at a map. Um, I will take quick misses. How about that? So that means I get the hits. Cool. Yeah. Well, you play defense, so that makes sense. And I was a baseball player. Uh, Frank took a bigger risk than anyone in the question that asked us to pick a lower-ranked team from kickoffs 1 to 249. Quick misses and quick hits, by the way. This is a recap of uh, Friday's preview of the weekend where uh, six of us, five of us, regulars and a guest, uh, answer six questions about the uh, weekend's games in, 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 uh, in the guise of predictions. So uh, we had to pick a lower-ranked team. Uh, in a conference game from kickoffs ranking and then projected to be a higher rank one. So uh, FDU Florham versus Widener it was a was the biggest whiff. Um, let's see, Keith wasn't all that close either. Otterbein easily handled Muskingum. Uh, I picked uh, Wilkes to beat Lebanon Valley, and Lebanon Valley, I'm trying to erase the 36 to nothing score from that game, uh, from that. Um, no one was close on upset picks. We picked all the low-hanging fruit and upsets in week one. We got all of those pretty easily. Uh, of course, nobody picked St. Thomas. Um, Keith uh, hinted at uh, Whitewater and Concordia being a good game, but uh, a lot of people taking Brockport. Uh, I took Illinois Wesleyan. Neither of those games were close. Uh, 42-21, Illinois Wesleyan won. Brockport beat Ithaca 31 to nothing. So uh, there were a lot of places where we missed, but uh, there were a lot of places where we hit. Yeah, some weeks are, they're going to be their fair share of misses. But I think uh, I'm going to pat myself on the back for for quick hit on uh, having a fair facsimile of, of the game of the week, picking Concordia and, and Wisconsin-Whitewater. Um, the Northwest Conference, they took four out of five from the Skyac. So Frank Ryan and our guest, Greg Thomas, all get a point, although the points don't really matter. Uh, but I'll still give myself another point for, uh, for the MIAA over the uh, Heartland. Uh, I said they, they'll go 3-0. and Pat hit on the ODAC over the USA South, and Adam gets a point for Iowa over the Midwest Conference. Everyone gets a point, meaningless points all around. You get a point, and you get a point. I thought that would be harder. I thought that question would be more difficult. No, there are more, well, there are more quick hits. We, we did get a few things right this week. Uh, Adam picked the conference upset correctly with uh, number 142 in, in the preseason kickoff rankings, St. Vincent over number 141 Teal. 25 and, uh, to 25 to 22 by the way a game indicative of the close ranking 
Uh, and don't isn't there a three points for the for the home? Yeah, but I didn't have a chance to. I I don't remember who's at home. Give me yeah four I don't seconds because otherwise it's basically the the, the most would, even game it could ever be. Right, it, the kickoff w- ranking was was right on the money. It would be a wash. It was at St. Vincent, so it would be exactly basically a wash. Which our ranking suggested it would be one forty two, one forty one. Uh, Ryan Tips also had uh, 182 McDaniel over number 118 Moravian. Uh, I had on Oberlin going 2 and 0 to start the season, while Ryan wisely picked uh, Guilford and Frank had Illinois Wesleyan. Yeah, you were the only one out of that uh, threesome that uh, picked a toss-up game this week, though. Guilford and Illinois Wesleyan, their tough games were in Week One. If we were actually scoring this, I would only give a half point apiece for that. That was uh, that they took the easy way out on that. Well, there will be no easy way out this week because I think there there are a ton of, of really competitive games, important games, and uh, you'll definitely want to check out Quick Hits on Friday morning. One of the things I love about this segment we just did is uh, Keith and I generally write out bullet points or even uh, sometimes fully script our, our, our own portion of the rundown in this uh, podcast, which is why we ramble less than we did two years ago. Um, but in this instance, uh, each of us had to read the part that the other person wrote, so... Uh, uh, with, with Keith saying a, a fair facsimile of the game of the week, it's like, yeah, I wrote that for me to say, and I did not write that in Keith's voice whatsoever. And I also had to pat myself on the back end rather than say, Keith, you're so awesome this week. Keith, you're so awesome this week. Every thought of yours is a friend of mine. Hey, because that's how I would have scripted it for you to say it. This week in the Everything Happens in Division Three file, I have to spotlight Hiram and Randy Tucker. Uh, these guys, well, these guys, this guy accounted for eight touchdowns in a 63-41 win versus Earlham. Eight touchdowns sounds like a lot, right? Hiram tweeted asking when the last time was that happened, and I was sure it had. So instead of sleeping at 1 a.m. on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, I looked through some files, picked out at least three quarterbacks in Division Three alone who did it last year. Devin Hayes of center threw for seven and ran for one versus Rhodes in Week 10. Uh, Pete Coughlin did the same versus Carnegie Mellon in, uh, I think that was week eight. And Connor Feckley of Dubuque threw for eight touchdowns versus Bethel in uh, last year's opener. Everything happens in Division Three. Well, something that rarely happens is uh, is Lawrence winning. And uh, same goes for Greensboro. Both of those teams won on Saturday. Lawrence beat Finlandia 27-22. And uh, Greensboro beat Gallaudet. Uh, Lawrence was up 18 nothing at the half. Finlandia almost came back in that game. But, uh, I know almost nothing else about that game, but I know that because I was trying to find a score, and the only place I could find it was Finlandia's video broadcast, which was not in the right place. It was at a different link than they said it had been. Uh, let's see, another result I was surprised by. I was not expecting to see Benedictine take to St. Norbert the way they did, uh, 29-7 with the, for the win for the Eagles. Jack Becker went out with an injury. Backup quarterback Colin Bursick struggled for the Green Knights, completing just 11 of 25 passes for 100 yards, and 57 of those were on one play. Nice bounce back for Benedictine after the Week 1 loss. But meanwhile, I thought O-line would be a strength for St. Norbert when I wrote them up for kickoff. They have a lot of players who saw time last year because of injuries, and uh, but uh, versus versus Benedictine, not so much. And that was super surprising because St. Norbert went to overtime with uh, with uh, Wisconsin Stevens Point in Week One. So you know, if you follow the, the conference rankings and the conference ranking logic, that was certainly a, a, a pretty big surprise. Yeah, I guess Benedict, uh, I guess Benedictine over Stevens Point now. Right, because everything always falls exactly into place and triangulates correctly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, is it is it too early for surprising two and O teams? We, we've mentioned a couple over the course of the broadcast: uh, Milliken, Oberlin. Throw a couple other uh, shouts out to uh, to Knox two and O, and uh, and and Curry. I think though, when when we come back to me next time, it's going to be a lot more surprising zero and two teams than two and zero teams. <laughs> well, when uh, every thought of yours comes back around, we'll find out about that. Uh, for me, uh, one of the things uh, Saturday, of course, uh, I, we've gone what uh, about fifty minutes into the podcast, and I haven't mentioned the blue turf. Uh, which was I was on Saturday. Big win for Luther. Cool day for the program as they debuted their new field with a forty-four twenty win versus Saint Olaf. Uh, they had three former coaches, ton of alumni on hand for the dedication of the new field, but uh, Coach Aaron Hafner hit the nail on the head as to why it's such a big deal. I told our players in the, in this, 
this morning's meeting, I said, there's only going to be one home game on, uh, one first game on the blue, you know, so we need to make sure that we win the ball game. I mean, so, you know, that, that all the alumni and, and the people who came here for the dedication, that, that they remember that the first game here, that, that, we, that we got a W against a, a rival team, and 40 years from now when those guys are old and, and everything else, they're going to remember this game, and, and that's very, very important. And, and if you wonder how a team makes the decision and, and what kind of hoops they have to jump through to get blue turf. It's actually trademarked by Boise State. Uh, we talked to uh, to Hafner in the July episode. So if you're um, just just discovering the, the podcast or if you tuned us out for the whole offseason, you can dig in into that one from the summer. It's uh, I, I found it fascinating. I didn't realize you had to, you know, cross check it with so many people before you could uh, before you could make your turf whatever color you want. Surprising, surprisingly, 0-2 teams. Uh, besides UW Whitewater, uh, how about St. John Fisher? A little stunned at that one, especially the magnitude of, of the loss to Hobart. Ithaca, surprisingly 0-2, and then Franklin, semi-surprising 0-2. They opened up with Thomas Moore and Butler. They, they've started 0-2 before and made the playoffs. But Franklin and six of the nine teams in in the Heartland are 0-2. The other three are one and one. So the conference, if my math is correct, three and 15 so far. I know they're praying over there. Just bring on conference play. Uh, meantime, four ODAC teams are two and zero, and the others are one and one. So they're eleven and three overall. And uh, and speaking of the ODAC, yeah, it was another big day for Eric Bell of Guilford. Not only is that guy still around, seems like we've been saying his name for a while. He's only a junior. 428 all-purpose yards for that guy on Saturday in a 56-17 win at Methodist. That includes a kickoff return for a touchdown, 11 punt returns, 78 yards rushing, and 75 receiving yards. Monarchs abdicated on this guy who averaged 12.5 yards and 34 touches. And no, I did not include this note just to use the Monarchs abdicated line. Yes, you did. No, I mean, I was going to talk about it anyway. Um, and then, yeah, I decided to say it anyway. Uh, I didn't get the chance to use that about Kings, which did not uh, go surprisingly 2-0. and They abdicated against Stevenson, and, I, and uh, I, I'm out of Monarchs. Isn't there another Monarch? I, I don't know, but I, I think the cra- that crazy run of stats, I think maybe the craziest one is, is 11 punt returns. <laughs> I, used, I used to play with a guy who said uh, who was a punt returner, and uh, we used to rush 10 a lot. He, he said punt return is a death wish. Because you're standing back there, you're looking up at the sky while everybody's running running down to crush you. <laughs> yeah, I think he had like 130-some yards on those 11 uh, punt returns, too. It was, yeah. uh, that's a uh, – just just returning the 11 punts alone, you're absolutely right. Uh, Keith, I have uh, this week another item from the Burroughs collection. Do you have your uh, cell phone handy? I do. Uh, I just texted you a picture. Meanwhile, okay. I'm, I'm going to describe what this is, and I'm going to um, I'm going to quiz you a little bit. So don't look at the photo yet right away when it comes in. You probably already right. have, haven't you? No. Okay. So what I have here is uh, a a program from the 2000 border battle. Can you name the states? Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yeah, Wisconsin and Minnesota. Uh, uh, how about the teams? Um, man, come on! I just let me quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> All right. How about conferences? Mayak and Wyak. No, indeed. Yeah. See, no, remember I this no. was this was uh this oh, was the okay. Wyak against the Northern Sun, the D yeah, the D two yeah, yeah. conference. Um remember when those were games that used to happen, right? Uh, well yeah, the the most famous one of them, or at least the one I remember the most, is the first year Whitewater made the stag ball. I think they lost to St. Cloud State. Yeah, so I don't like yeah, that wasn't part of this event though. This event had already kind of gone by the wayside. Um, but it is uh, so. It uh, for example, uh, well, of course, Minnesota Morris was in Division Two and in the Northern Sun. They played Oshkosh that year. Uh, River Falls played Bemidji State. Like Stevens Point played Winona. Uh, Stout played Minnesota Duluth. Just a you know a, a set of games at the end of the year in the Metrodome, of course, a, a venue that doesn't uh, that doesn't happen anymore. And just like one of those things was kind of a became kind of an anachronism in Division Three as we became much more focused on playing uh, solely against Division Three schools. Well, the, you know the other thing that that we make this point about Wisconsin so often is that unlike Pennsylvania or Virginia or Massachusetts, where um, there are you know a good dozen, half dozen, almost two dozen D three schools, and also one double A or or I'm sorry FCS 
D2 competition. In Wisconsin, there's basically Madison and then the WIAC schools, which is true for D3 athletes, but there are those Northern Sun teams do come across the border. They're offering partial scholarships um, to, to defray the cost of coming to school. And it's not necessarily, you know, Wisconsin's a big state, Minnesota's a big state. So sometimes there might be a school in Minnesota that's closer to where you're from in Wisconsin. And, uh, and, and those schools, they obviously recruit Minnesota, but they recruit Wisconsin pretty hard. So there are some other options for Wisconsin kids, but that tends to be one of the reasons why the WIAC is able to line its roster so well, that and, and state school costs. The uh, one of the interesting things is I'm kind of going through rosters and, and team pages here. Uh, River Falls, coached by John O'Grady, you may remember uh, him from 2000. Uh, two of his assistants are currently head coaches in the WIAC. Uh, Kevin Bullis was uh, an assistant that year. Tom Jernell uh, was an assistant that year as the mm. head coach at uh, Stevens Point. That's a that's a lot of deep history here, but that's what the Burroughs collection is, Pat. And since you <laughs> since you texted uh, these these to me, we should definitely. Uh, send these out over the the d3 twitter account and and maybe the the hampton sydney bridgeport and the montclair state new york tech one that you mentioned uh, last week as well because these are these are fascinating and and part of seeing the part of the history i think is is seeing how different the the fonts and the designs and and things were uh i will take a better picture then before i uh, send it out and you paid uh, would have had to pay two dollars for this program keith we're uh we're down near the end. Did we have more that we had to say, or was that the uh, end? We have next week's next week's games. There are some games next week. Yeah, and uh, if I haven't made it totally clear, I'm I'm excited about this one. An actual good week. Um, I don't know why week one was pretty good and two wasn't so bad, but three I'm excited for. Uh, not the least of which is because uh, number one ranked Mary Harden Baylor goes to number seven Linfield. Uh, those teams have played each other a handful of times. In fact. Uh, UMHB's win in the playoffs last season was the first win over Linfield in four or five meetings. UMH, and, uh, UMHB is to Linfield as John Carroll is to UW Oshkosh. Wow. You just SAT'd him again, two okay. weeks in a row. Yeah. We're uh, we're all about the comparative whatever those things are. So, yeah, no, number one UMHB at number six Linfield, uh, and then other uh, top Ten teams in action. Carthage at number four, Wheaton. And then uh, another CCIW game, uh, number 16, Illinois Wesley, and at number five, North Central. We'll get a little bit of drinking game clarity. In the, Ooh, uh, clarity. Nice. In the CCIW. Um, but it's not the only place there are good games. Formerly ranked Thomas Moore uh, is at number 18, Washington Jefferson. That tends to be the de facto pack title game. It's the only game in the pack this season that will look anything like a de facto pack title game if the three good teams are Thomas Moore, Washington and Jefferson, and Case Western Reserve, because uh, that's the only one of those groups uh, that play each other. Um, there's an odd one. Number 13 was Wisconsin. I don't know why I've been pronouncing Wisconsin lately. Number 13, UW-Platteville at Hampton-Sydney. So that's like a state school in Wisconsin at an all-male private school in Virginia. Um, but actually, both the teams uh, like to line up and throw the ball. A game might take like four and a half hours. Yeah, that'd be worth the trip then. That's true. Uh, Hampton City, actually a cool place to see a game. I Well documented, not a fan of, of Hampton City, uh, although... Uh, yeah, I think I, you're I like, just required not to be, right? I mean, it also, it, it's, it just comes naturally. But uh, but I like I like Marty uh, Favret, the coach, and I like uh, playing. It's a cool place to see a game. Um, I have no idea how how um, Platteville and and Hampton Sydney will match up. It, it's a shame that it, that it's not a year where um, Hampton Sydney has a great quarterback and a high powered offense because I think uh, that would really make for a, a pretty fun game. I imagine um, Platteville should uh, should uh, do pretty well, um, but it's a long trip. Yeah, that and, that would be fun though. You're right. It's a weird spot. Staying in the uh, in the WIAC, it doesn't get any easier for Wisconsin Whitewater, who will try to avoid 0-3 at 2016 playoff team Wash U. The teams played each other before. I don't know if you remember this, Pat. I thought it was last year. Then I thought it was the year before that. Then I thought it was the year before that. They played to open the 2013 season Oh yeah, at the, at the height of the Warhawks' power, and uh, UWW won that game 17 17- Seven. I'm still talking about week three. That's how good of a, of a week next week is. It's uh, the first Nescat game, and it's also the first time 
uh, the the NESCAC will start with a nine-game season. They would traditionally play uh, a scrimmage on this week and then play eight games that counted. And they finally decided, why are we doing this? Let's just make that scrimmage into a real game. We'll have a nine-game season. Everyone, there's only 10 teams in the conference, so everyone will play everyone. Uh, so they get underway next week, a week earlier than they, they usually would. And uh, they're actually a pretty solid game to start off with, Wesley and at Middlebury. And then um, Dickinson at Gettysburg, they play for the bucket and also Guru Bowl week. Oh. Uh, ran, off, ran off making a Catholic maybe in different conferences now, but they're still on each other's schedule. I'm just glad we're continuing to play that game. I, it was the... Uh... It was the longest. It's the longest uh, running rivalry for Catholic. I know, obviously, uh, you guys have maybe played some other school, uh, maybe four times as much, uh, or so. But we have played every year uh, going back into 1991, 1990, something like that. It's a, that's a. It wasn't as many years uh, back when you and I were students, but now it's kind of a lot of years. No, but when when Pat and I played, and the reason <laughs> I didn't play for the ref- for the record. Go on. I'm sorry. When I, when I played and Pat was writing Cardinal Digest, uh, the Damn, four page was a four page in. newsletter. Yeah, yeah, four pages is, and two on game day. Yeah, this is how old we we are. There was it was pre website. That's right. Like, I was like like I, I, I was the Don Hansen football gazette of Catholic U football. Right. So Pat and I didn't know each other at this point. I was on the team at Randolph Macon. See, I wasn't even playing at that point. I was on the team. Um, although I'd, at least I traveled to Catholic. Um, and and Pat was was covering the team, and uh, we the the teams played a couple of uh, of pretty memorable games. The most memorable being, of course, the the fifty fifty tie in nineteen ninety six. Um, but they've they've managed to keep that series going, and uh, it gets an undue amount of, of <laughs> uh, attention here because yeah. uh, we're we're uh, alums of the two schools. Now, granted. Um, we don't talk about our, our our teams every week, and I think we're both pretty fair um, with with our alma mater. And and I, you know, it's twenty years out. It's hard to it's hard to stay. You're like still in love with your your school. You know, you have fond memories or whatever. But you and I have gotten to know so many people across D three that that um I, f- I feel like I have lots more. Um, that's that's a weird way to put it. I mean, there's only one alma mater, but I I know and like people across the division, so I don't really favor anyone. But it, it is interesting that like this is like, I don't know, like Cal Lutheran Redlands or something like that. Like if we had just happened to go to those two schools, we'd talk about that as a Guru Bowl. So that that's the one benefit every year. Catholic and Randolph Macon get a little extra attention on uh, in week week three. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 174 for the week of September 11th, 2017. I didn't say anything about September 11th this entire podcast. Well, it's, it's, I mean, obviously everyone's going to commemorate it and remember, remember it every year um, from a, from a D3 perspective. You know, I, I just had a conversation with my, my, one of my daughter about it today because, you know, it predates her yeah um but that but it was um in d3 at that time too it was a you know nobody knew what to do it was such a huge deal um and and it was a tuesday so they had a few days to figure out whether they even wanted to play this weekend but but that weekend after and 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 nobody did because it was just um or or maybe some well actually yeah in division three a lot of teams still played we had almost half of our schedule i think um, you know, at the major conference level, uh, you know, the big D1s didn't play partially because of travel, partially because of concerns that gathering eighty to 100,000 people in one place was a bad idea. Um, you know, there was a lot of debate about it in Division Three, and, uh, you know, it, uh, but I, I say, too, not just, of course, uh, for your daughter, but think about the college freshmen uh, coming in this year who were, you know, two years old, a year and a half, three years old yeah. when uh, when that happened. It just... Uh, it's it that's kind of that's the kind of stuff that's hard for me to picture too how long ago it's been i guess that's like that's like the vietnam war to me like it's it's something that i i understand happened you learn about it in school you see images of it um but you don't have a personal relationship to that period in time which uh, all of us who are, who were alive then do um and it was just you know you, you never you don't imagine something like that is even possible. And and then, you know, life went on. 
If you're listening down in Florida, I assume you're not listening on Monday. Uh, I hope everybody down there is uh, staying safe uh, because of the hurricane. Uh, so thanks uh, for everybody who is listening, however, tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like this podcast, if you like the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, please consider giving us a rating in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, because that will help uh, other people find it. Executive producer of the D3Football.com and Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and uh, all of our music this week by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com, D-J-M-E-N-T-O-S. Thanks to our guests, Terry Horan and Aaron Hafner, Sports Information Directors Jim Sella and Dave Blanchard for their time helping us put together this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter. Use the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We also have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. You can join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. Use a valid email address because you're not getting in otherwise. Uh, also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook as well. And we have all sorts of content new to d3football.com each week during the season. So look for the play of the week on Mondays, around the region columns on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, Adam Turr's Around the Nation column on Thursdays, our weekly quick hits predictions on Friday, and of course, wall-to-wall game coverage on Saturdays, and then, you know, a top 25 on Sunday. And uh, it the cycle, the cycle never ends. 16 lovely weeks of this stuff before we get uh, up to Stag Bowl 45. Yikes. Okay, we're not uh, we're not ready for December yet, but uh, thanks again for listening to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Thank you.